You see the horrifying pictures of Australia's red skies, of the charred bodies of animals. More than a billion were now told killed in the bushfires, along with at least 25 people. And you think, how is this happening? And then you hear officials promising defiantly to keep burning coal. And you think, how is this happening? Then you read a story like one recently in Desmog blog about how Rick Perry, newly resigned as Trump's energy secretary, has just rejoined the board at Energy Transfer, the pipeline company behind Dakota Access, now seeking to double the flow through that system. And how Energy Transfer just got a $30 million fine for a 2018 explosion in its Revolution pipeline in Pennsylvania, along with the lifting of the permit bar that blocked it from future pipeline projects. And you see how this is happening. Even as we see the reality and know the science, the revolving doors and interlocking boards and public agencies that are decimated and demoralized make possible unthinkable power grabs like one currently taking aim at the right of communities to weigh in on our climate future. Joining us to talk about this undercovered maneuver is Brett Hartle, Government Affairs Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. He joins us by phone from Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Counterspin, Brett Hartle. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, fill folks in, what does the National Environmental Policy Act do, and what would these changes that have been proposed by the Trump administration mean? Sure. So the National Environmental Policy Act, which everybody calls NEPA for short, is the first modern law of the modern environmental movement. It was passed in 1970. It just had its 50th anniversary a week ago. So it came before the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and all the others. And what it does is it requires the federal government, every agency, to make sure that they consider the consequences, the environmental consequences of their upcoming proposed activities, whether it's building a coal mine, uh, logging a forest, drilling for oil and gas, but even things like, you know, building a new highway, relatively non-controversial items that might still actually have unintended consequences. It also requires the federal government to consider the voices of the people in the process of making a decision by soliciting public comment, by providing the public with critical information about what might happen if something were to proceed or not. So it's a very uh, sort of democratic law that's designed to give everybody a voice in big picture government decision making. And for 50 years, we've had this law on the books. We've had uh, regulations that uh, set the rules of the game for how this process plays out. Now, for the first time, uh, we're seeing with the Trump administration, a very partisan attack, uh, basically taking a sledgehammer to these key regulations that will make this entire environmental review very much a paperwork exercise, cursory, no real discussions of the real-world impacts, and also limits the public's information about uh, upcoming actions, limit the ability to comment by putting in these arbitrary deadlines for completion. And the, the, the driving force in all of this is to help 
special interests and polluters get their permits faster, whether they want to drill for oil and gas or dig coal out of the ground or other really destructive activities. That's what's motivating these changes because they don't help the public. They don't help the environment. This is just the latest gift to the swamp. And these changes kind of tip their hand, if they didn't already, by saying explicitly that you don't need to consider impacts or potential impacts from climate disruption. Isn't that, isn't that so? Or do they just mean that? Yeah, the, the latter. Yeah. Um, so what they've done is, in the, the, the regulations up till now, there's a requirement to consider what they call cumulative impacts. And that sort of encapsulates climate because obviously, you know, no one thing, like you said, destroys the climate. But if you drill, you know, 10,000 new wells or you mine a a billion new tons of coal, those cumulative impacts, the greenhouse gas emissions, that's what drives climate change. That's what drives, you know, these crazy fires in Australia. Not just, it's not one project, it's all of them together. And basically what they're saying is from this day forward, you don't have to consider what happens if you build another fossil fuel coal-fired power plant or log a forest or drill another 10,000 oil wells in the West. So it's somewhat indirect, it's a little bit wonky, but the upshot is that climate will just be ignored as if climate change is not happening when it comes to environmental reviews moving forward. And of course, that's huge, you know. I mean, if you pretend that there aren't any costs associated with it, then, you know, your profit is going to look better. Deals are going to look better if you can sort of pretend away certain kinds of impacts. You know, you almost want to laugh at it, but this is going to have, if it passed, and we'll talk about that if it goes through, could have devastating impacts. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say, too, that uh, cumulative impacts is not just climate. I mean, climate is very important. But cumulative impacts, the way I I describe it, is uh, that is the actual assessment of the real world in all of its complexities and nuances and, you know, feedback loops and unintended consequences and tipping points. And it's the reason that water pollution gets worse the farther downstream you go. It's because one particular instance of water pollution is bad, but when they accumulate, that's what makes people sick. You know, air pollution is worse as it gets more and more in terms of, like, you know, breathing. You know, the people that suffer are the ones that are feeling these cumulative impacts. Wildlife populations feel cumulative impacts. If you are doing more and more seismic exploration offshore, it's that cumulative noise in the ocean that harms whales. Yeah, I mean, you could say it's penny-wise, pound-foolish, but the deeper question is really who will pay. Exactly. Some media accounts are dutifully reporting the government's assertion that these changes are about efficiencies, you know, regulations hold up projects. We talked about this a couple of years ago with regard to efforts to, quote-unquote, improve the Endangered Species Act. We're not being cynical, are we, to say that the problem is not that, in this case, NEPA didn't work, but that it, it did work, does work. Trump and his cronies love to highlight the anecdotes of the projects that take forever. And, you know, yeah, every once in a while there's one or two outlier projects that take a very, very, very long time. The reason is is usually they're really, really stupid projects that also probably have 
huge funding issues and they, they stall out because there's no money to do them or there's not enough staff to process them because the Republicans have been so effective at sort of strangling the government in terms of funding so that you know staff are just overwhelmed all the time. Most projects get done in a pretty reasonable amount of time. Going slow to allow people to provide input and thought about what might happen is worth thinking about for a year or two or three. Because if you force these arbitrary deadlines, you basically don't allow for the possibility that something unexpected might happen. And, and that's how you really get things like the Deepwater Horizon oil spill disaster or, you know, another pipeline spilling or, or breaching. Catastrophes happen. And if you don't think through the possible consequences at the front end, someone's going to suffer. So, you know, I think it's always better to make the right decision, take time, and make sure you've thought it through. You know, the only ones that really benefit from this notion of expediting it is, you know, the industry people. The people that have to live with this on the ground suffer. And we see it time and time again. You know, you see it in, in low-income communities and communities of color. They bear the brunt of this, as does the environment and wildlife. So, yeah, every once in a while a project goes a really, really long time. But most of the time, NEPA works pretty darn well. We've been speaking with Brett Hartle, Government Affairs Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. You can find their work on this and other issues online at biologicaldiversity.org. Brett Hartle, thank you very much for joining us today on Counterspin. Thanks for having me.